and welcome to the podcast. This is Hypochondriac's Almanac, and we are really excited to be recording for you guys tonight. I am with Katrina. Say hi, Katrina. Hi. In case you guys are wondering, this is the podcast for all of you. In case you're wondering, this is the podcast for all of you out there who secretly think you have a new disease every time you have a sniffle, a slight twinge, or a headache. It's not a tumor. We understand, we identify, and we have definitely scoped out WebMD more than a few hundred times. We are here to talk diseases, illnesses, syndromes, rare disorders, crazy things, whatever's in the news, anything medical, anything strange, anything that's hot right now. Before we get started, let's talk about a few little disclaimers. First and foremost, we're not doctors or nurses or medical professionals of any kind. Please, please, please do not take what we say on this show as medical advice. We are not trying to treat, diagnose, or fix any of your medical conditions. If you have an issue, please see a doctor. Do not guess or take what we say as a diagnostic tool. We just want to talk about all the fun and weird parts of the medical world in the past, present, and future. Let's jump right in. Tonight, we're going to talk about a very controversial topic, autism. Katrina has some experience with this herself and has done some pretty extensive research into the topic. That's why I'm really excited to be recording with her tonight because she actually has some individual experience on this and that always makes for the best show out there. Katrina, tell me what your personal experience with this particular disorder is. So I have, my daughter has um, a, it is... It's an undiagnosed um, learning disability. We don't know exactly what it is yet, but it's a lot of the same symptoms as autism. Um, and she's been in therapy and groups for many years. And I've worked with a lot of other kids within the classroom who do have autism, but she is, her diagnosis was just a speech. She has a speech disorder and sensory processing disorder. So she, they said that she's too con, too social to be considered autistic. But the thing is, is right before they gave her her diagnosis, they had changed the parameters for autism, mm-hmm. and she didn't quite fit on them. But if they hadn't changed it, she probably would have been on the higher functioning end. Essentially, being on the spectrum means you exist somewhere within that main category of developmental disorder, whether it be really, really high functioning or really, really low functioning, you are somewhere in that disorder is essentially what that means. Okay. We are going to cover off on a little bit of information about autism. And then I'm going to have Katrina really highlight some actual cases and maybe share some of the things that she is experiencing with her own daughter. Maya, her daughter, is very high-functioning, is my understanding. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So she exhibits fewer symptoms than most children, but there is something just not quite normal, not quite 100% normal. And it's really hard to kind of say that, I think, in today's behavioral, because they're really, it seems as though more and more there really is no normal. Is that kind of well, how you there, feel? Yeah. I th- The thing is, is that this is actually quite common in a lot of kids we just don't know about it as much unless you've personally experienced it so and we've got some issues really common in our family as well and we're kind of going to get into that a little bit we've had some uncles and some cousins and things like that who sort of back in the day we just thought they were a little off a little odd and now it seems as though 
when you look at this diagnostic for this particular disorder, you can see that they exist somewhere in that spectrum, which is very interesting because right. we never thought about it or knew about it in the past. But in any case, autism itself is a de developmental disorder that's characterized by difficulties with social interaction and communication. It can also show and be demonstrated by restricted and repetitive behavior. So sometimes some of these kids will stack or line up objects. This can be associated with autism. Like there's a picture here on this particular article of a young child in a closet stacking up tin cans um, repetitively, bunch of stacks of tin cans from the cabinet, which yeah, I guess is a lot of repetitive behaviors. It's very kind of random because I think a lot of children stack things just out of fun or play, playing and, and having a good time. But when it starts to become restricted and repetitive, that's when you start it's, to experience it's quite that. obsessive. Yes, exactly. Yes. Parents usually start to notice signs within the first three years of their child's life. These signs can develop gradually, though some children with autism reach their developmental milestones at a normal pace before they worsen. Was that the case with Maya? Did she kind of reach her developmental milestones at a normal pace and then worsen or was it pretty much you kind of knew right from the start something was a little bit off I always knew from the start that there was something a little bit different I wouldn't really say off or bad or any kind of negative connotation mm -hmm. because her behave it's just odd behaviors and quirky so for those of you who do not um, know or who haven't listened to prior shows Maya is Katrina's third child so she has two other children that she had prior to Maya um, and Maya just sort of, and this is how she kind of knew that it wasn't the way some of the other children were because she'd had two before and experienced the behavior and the developmental milestones with them. So she kind of had that um, benchmark with the other two children. Autism can also be associated with genetic and environmental factors. And this is something that we're going to kind of touch on um, a little bit later in the show as well. But risk factors during pregnancy um, include certain infections like rubella, Toxins like alcohol, cocaine, pesticides, air pollution, fetal growth restriction, and autoimmune diseases can also cause autism to pop up. And there are also some controversies that are surrounding this where people say that perhaps vaccines are causing autism at a greater number in children. And scientists and doctors want to make it clear that these theories are not necessarily scientifically proven. Although there are quite a few people that are pretty much positive that their child acted normal before they started getting the series of children's vaccinations. So this is a very, very controversial topic. And I don't want to come off on this show as saying, hey, vaccines cause this. But there are a lot of people that believe that to be true. Well, and not only that, but there there's a lot of people who I think have experienced where their children were totally normal functioning and then they had a vaccination and it, it appears to them that the vaccination caused it yes and they don't have any other explanations for it yeah so there are a lot of documented cases where that has happened I have personally working in the hospital have seen some I've seen very uh, quite a few people come into the bring kids in from the ER into the ER with issues along that line. That's very interesting. And the thing is, because it has 
sort of a delayed onset for some people. Who can say whether it really is the vaccination or whether they would have experienced that onset around the time that vaccinations were given anyway. So that is a, that's a, that's a tricky, tricky topic. Well, because there is one type of autism called childhood disintegrative disorder, Mm -hmm. which is they develop normally. And then about two or three, they start, which is when they're giving vaccinations is when they start to, um, go disintegrate. Yeah. Is basically what happens. Yeah. And so then they start losing stuff. So, and those all that the time period for that is around exactly when you are giving them a certain vaccination. Right. And I, I think, think it's that is why MMR. it is so hard to prove that scientifically that those vaccines cause that for that exact reason. And it's a tricky, tricky topic. And it's very sad that certain children seem to develop that. But autism in general, affects information processing in the brain by altering connections and organizations of nerve cells and their synapses. How this actually happens is not really that well understood. And that's what makes this so tricky and what makes people want to grasp onto things that they believe are causing it. People want to know. They want to feel assured that certain things cause this and that here's what they need to do to fix it. The way they explain it, I mean, it kind of makes sense and doesn't seem like it's completely far reaching that it's like out of the realm of possibility that that could happen. Right. Um, and I am kind of of the mindset that I do believe vaccinations save lives and vaccinations help many people. I am not entirely certain that the vaccinations that we are giving are necessary because we are giving so many vaccinations now. I think when we were kids, there were like five or 10. And now there are literally dozens that you have to give your child. I am not a hundred percent convinced that this is necessary, but anyway, that's neither here nor there because there, I don't want to get into the vaccine anti-vaccine debate because that is very controversial. And many people feel very, very strongly about it one way or another. And certainly feel free to shoot us an email if you are in either one of those camps and feel strongly about it. But we um, tend to ride a middle of the road stance with respect to this particular topic. Some forms of autism, though, can be less severe, and these can include Asperger's syndrome and per- and one that I think Katrina mentioned earlier, pervasive developmental disorder, otherwise not specified. These can be combined with a diagnosis of, diagnosis of autism. Early speech therapy and behavioral interventions can help these kids gain self-care, social, and communicative skills, because these are areas where kids can tend to lag behind or have special issues developing in. And I can, again, I can speak to that mm -hmm. personally, Maya with Maya, she was, when she was two, she wasn't speaking. She was uh, doing a lot of spinning, a lot of stemming. Stemming is a repetitive motions like flapping and spinning. So she was doing a lot of those behaviors. We got her into a program and she wasn't making eye contact either. Right. Um, We got her into a, a program that was helping her with these things and she doesn't do any of those things anymore oh that's awesome and that but that's over years that's like right seven years of therapy so and careful care and monitoring and some other things that Katrina has done to assist Maya with that and we're going to kind of talk about that and touch on that in a little bit so there is no cure for this as frustrating as that may seem for a lot of people but 
Many kids with autism do learn to live independently after reaching adulthood, and some have become very successful. And again, we're going to talk about some of those cases in a little bit here. As autism and autistic culture has developed and our knowledge and understanding of that has sort of increased, some individuals seek a cure and others believe that this should be accepted as a difference, sort of a difference in behavior, not necessarily as a disorder were better or worse than normal quote-unquote behavior. And that's something we sort of touched on earlier as well. Globally, autism is estimated to affect about 24.8 million people. And this was as of 2015. In the 2000s, the number of people affected was estimated to be about 1 to 2 per 1,000 people worldwide. In developed countries, about 1.5% of children are diagnosed with autism. 0.7 in 2000. It occurs to be four to five times more often diagnosed in males than females, and the number of people diagnosed has increased dramatically since the 60s, partially due to changes in the diagnostic process, and that is an ever-changing thing as well, diagnosing this particular illness. Katrina had mentioned, not illness, but disorder. Katrina mentioned earlier that it changed about the time that Maya began experience. The diagnostic tools changed about the time that her experience with Maya started. So... And it may change again. I mean, it's such a wildly varying type of diagnosis that I think as we continue to experience differences with our food and the way it's prepared and grown and environmental factors and toxins and pesticides that we will see these disorders popping up because when you start to mess with the genetic structure of the brain and the cells and the genomes and the DNA, you're going to end up with these weird little glitches. And I don't want to necessarily downplay autism as a weird little glitch, but it seems that it just is a different way that the neurons in the brain interact with this particular disorder. So again, we mentioned earlier, autism is a very highly variable developmental disorder. It appears between infancy or childhood and generally follows a steady course without remission. So it's not one of those things that kind of comes and goes or you'll have a period of like extreme normalcy. Although... It's my understanding that some people have experienced different levels of that or different um, sort of experiences with that. Is that kind of what you've experienced as well? Or has it just been a continuous and steady sort of a thing? It's been up and down. People with autism can be severely impaired and then they can have impairment in certain areas and not in others. And then they can be way superior in certain areas and others. According to documents and um, research out there, overt symptoms gradually begin around the age of six months and become established okay. by age two or three years. And then they tend to continue yeah. through adulthood, although usually more muted because people are getting therapy and behavioral type assistance for their, their children that help them live a more... Uh, productive life. I think before six months, it's hard to be hard to tell because what is normal for a newborn baby, like some of the behaviors, some of it's just like some babies are colicky. That could be, you know, you know, like you just don't really know how, but anything before six months is really hard to like what is normal. Because some are sensitive and some are ones that cry a lot and some are ones that never cry and some are ones that are emotional and some are ones that not are emotional and it's yeah and some and some babies grow out of certain things yeah. so you just don't really know you don't start really noticing till about six months people with autism are distinguished by not just one single symptom but by a triad so impairment of social interaction okay. impairments in communication and restricted interests with repetitive behavior 
Other aspects so, such as atypical eating are also common, but not an essential part of diagnosis. Individual right, symptoms so, of autism occur in the general population and appear not to associate highly without a sharp line separating between pathologically severe for common traits. So what were you going to say? I was just going to say, so it's the social piece, the speech, and and then sensory. Yeah. People with autism have social impairments and often lack the intuition about others that many people take for granted. They just don't get those those social cues. They don't seem to understand what normal social behavior is. Like they will get up real close to you or stand a little too far away or not really have a concept of what personal space is. And they're not doing it to be annoying or to offend you or to upset you. They just don't have those normal cues is the best kind of way I can sort of describe that. They don't see it. They don't like somebody telling a joke. They, they don't get it. They don't pick up on those social those cues because it doesn't make sense to them. Yeah. So unusual social development becomes apparent early in childhood. Autistic infants show less attention to small stimuli. They smile and look at others less often and respond less to when people call their name. Autistic toddlers differ more strikingly from social norms. For example, they have less eye contact and turn-taking, and they don't have the ability to use simple movements to express themselves, such as pointing at things. Three- to five-year-old children with autism are less likely to exhibit social understanding, approach others spontaneously, imitate or respond to emotions, communicate non-verbally, and take turns with others. So they just don't understand those cues and have a hard time sort of putting them into their own behavioral repertoire. And like and like you said, that's why early intervention is one of the best tools for um, kids suffering from these things because they can help they call it rewiring the brain where they can help them they give them tools to help them navigate through those things they teach them how to work around that right so it's really amazing the the tools that they use with these kids and they do such an amazing job yeah very 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 interesting that they can sort of rewire those pathways within the brain to function at a more normal in a more normal way that can help them to interact with others in a more productive way most children with autism display less moderately less attachment security than neurotypical children although this difference disappears in children with higher mental development or less severe autism older children and adults perform worse on tests of face emotion recognition as well. They don't get sarcastic. So if you say something sarcastic, they think they take it literally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which can be challenging because if you're a very sarcastic person, you really have to (laughs) rewire your behavior significantly to be able to communicate effectively with somebody with autism. Children with high-functioning autism suffer from more intense and frequent bouts of loneliness compared to their non-autistic peers. This is despite the common belief that children with autism prefer to be alone. So I think there's sort of a, a generalized belief that autistic children kind of like to be doing their own thing. And that's not necessarily true. just depends on the level of functioning autism within that child. Making certain, making and maintaining friendships can also be hard for people with autism. For them, the quality of friendships, not the number of friends, predicts how lonely they feel. Functional friendships like those resulting in invitations to parties can affect the quality of life more deeply. So oftentimes, and you hear these just heartbreaking stories on the news about kids with autism and how 
they either get picked on or they don't get invited to parties or they have, they end up missing out on a lot of social interactions and parties and things like that when they're kids, because number one, people don't know how to deal with children with autism. And number two, people, I think sort of assume that kids with autism all act in one way. And that's not necessarily true. So my personal experience with that would be, so Maya gets invited to a lot of birthday parties and whatnot, but she functions a little bit differently, but some of her classmates that she, the the kids don't really know or understand at the younger age that there's something different. Maya had a classmate um, in her preschool who is on the spectrum and um, a lot of kids don't understand that he's different they're just like why why does he act that way right and so Maya invites him to her birthday parties but I've noticed that um other kids also are inviting these kids and become because they're becoming more and more aware of these things and that they also want to be a part of these events so from my personal experience kids aren't bullying these kids there's a lot of nice kids out there who are trying to include them because there's become there's more education about it and people are becoming more and more aware of it right but i think because of the anecdotal reports that kind of show that aggression and violence are common in some individuals with autism and also autism is associated with aggression destruction of property and meltdowns and this can this can turn people off and kind of cause them to make generalized assumptions about any child that has any sort of aggressive, disruptive behavior or uh, just a simple meltdown. And and all kids have meltdowns at some point or another. It's pretty rare, I think, that kids grow up without a meltdown, right? So basically, you have four kids. Like, all of your kids have had a meltdown at some point or another, right? Right. So that's kind of one of those things where it's hard for people to understand and know that it's autism and not just a simple childhood meltdown, right? Yeah, it shows up differently in each child. You know, like Maya, she doesn't she doesn't show aggressive behaviors. Hers are more like stubborn, like she refuses to do stuff or just a lot of crying. Her meltdowns are aren't that way and I think but with boys it's more common in boys to see those physical meltdowns right but again I personally haven't experienced that too much working with children with autism it's the ones that are on the heavier end of the spectrum that have a tendency to be a little more physical so question I remember when your oldest daughter Bella was little she had some pretty (laughs) some pretty severe meltdowns herself like I remember a couple of instances where we were going to the store or something and she just completely lost it and had the hugest temper tantrum what's the difference between how can you tell the the difference between just a simple meltdown with a child and an autistic meltdown oh well that has more to do with the you have to know your child developmentally um because it doesn't always it can look kind of similar if you're at a grocery store and you see a kid having a meltdown you can't always tell that they are autistic or not Um, right so it really would depend on other factors factors right combined with that right because you can't always physically tell that there's something different about that child so a lot of children that are autistic they physically look the same as everybody else and until you actually see them 
talk or hear them talk or do behaviors, you don't always know that there's something different about them. Yeah. We spoke a little bit earlier about communication being one of the, the things, one of the particular characteristics that draw autistic children sort of apart from other children. About a third to a half of individuals with, of individuals with autism do not develop enough natural speech to meet their daily communication needs. So with Maya, you gave her extra help with this, correct? Yeah. So she went to a, a special preschool and they had their speech therapy there. And then they also, she also went to a speech, a outside speech therapist. So separate from that. So she, so she had extra speech parent. Yeah. She's had speech therapy and I went with her to a lot of these um, meetings so that I could um, learn the speech. Cause there's like just a, a way they talk to them, right? The way they do things, so that I could learn how to do it at home and be to most reinforce effective. what they were doing. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of work. Well, I think the thing is nowadays, I think that there are a lot of speech issues with a lot of kids, not just autistic kids. Oh, right? Yeah, no, that's really true, actually. <laughs> So differences in communication can be present for the, from the first year of life and may include delayed onset of babbling, unusual gestures, diminished responsiveness, and vocal patterns that are not synchronized with the caregiver. In the second and third years of, excuse me, in the second and third years, children with autism have less frequent and less diverse babbling, consonants, words, and word combinations, and their gestures are less integrated with words. So talk to me a little bit about some of the things that Maya did when she was little that kind of showed you that this, that communication was an issue that she was suffering from. So the first thing that I noticed with Maya was that, um, she, cause I've worked with kids in like daycares and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I noticed was that she wasn't talking like a little girl does a lot of little girls at the age of two are really inquisitive and have a lot of words and have a lot of things that they want to say. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just thought, Oh, well maybe she just isn't one of really chatty. Like maybe I just have the one girl out there who doesn't want to talk. I don't know. (laughs) So, but then I started to notice that she wasn't generating her own speech. So the speech that she was generating was, like she was echoing what we were saying. Wow. That's so interesting. So she wasn't actually generating something from herself, like what she wanted to say. It was basically, she was repeating back to us what we were saying. And how, when was it that she started to see this? Like what age? I, you know, I started to know she was different pretty early on about 18 months and okay. I would go to the doctor and they would be like, Oh, she's developing on the low side of normal. Wow. And that's what they just kept saying to me is everything is normal. But then there we ha- we were seeing these behavior patterns that weren't normal. And for right. me, I, um, I don't know if you know about this, but when you have kids, when you get pregnant, they give you, you can sign up for this website that gives you milestones for your pregnancy. And then okay. after you have the baby, right. they give you milestones for your children. Uh-huh. So I would get these, e- these emails saying what the milestones for her were, well, she wasn't meeting those milestones. Wow. And I was like, and I would talk to the doctor and they're like, Oh, well, she's still developing normal. So then I think about two, the, um, I came across an email that said, 
if you child is showing these symptoms, go to the school district to have them evaluated. That you you can have them evaluated for free. Right. And I was like, okay, that's cool. So I went to the school district. So my my older son's school. They say, oh, she's too young. You need to go to the preschool one. <clears throat> they so they sent me to this other one, and then they were like, no, she's too old. You need to go to this one. <laughs> Frustrating, right? I took her to several different places before I finally was able to get her in to be evaluated. So what ended up happening is I got her evaluated. That The evaluation process takes a month before they get back to you. It, it was such a long process, and it's so stressful as a mom. Right. When you, you don't know what's going on with your kid, and you, you want to help them, but you don't know what's wrong. Um, yeah. And it, I mean, it's scary. And I remember feeling just really anxious and apprehensive, like, what are they going to tell me? And so when I sat down and they gave me the results, they said, your daughter has a severe uh, developmental delay. We've we, She's significantly delayed in, in all of these areas. Um, they, they don't give you a diagnosis. They can't diagnose them, but they can say this is where they're delayed. And we can, and then they give you a, a program of what they do to work with them to help them to get to where they need to be in those developmental areas. Right. So as a mom, on one hand, it was a relief to hear that I wasn't crazy. Right. But then on the other hand, nobody wants to hear that their child has a developmental delay because uh, there is a, a huge piece of, of it is the sensory piece and that's where you physically your body feels different things and that's why you behave certain ways so for Maya uh, the spinning she was doing the spinning because she was feeling something in her body that was making her feel like she needed to spin to deal with that sensory feeling right so she liked to be like have somebody like sit on her and put pressure on her that feels really really good to her Children with autism are less likely to make requests and share experiences and are more likely to repeat others' words and re or reverse pronouns. Joint attention seems to be necessary for functional speech and deficits in joint attention seem to distinguish infants with autism. For example, they may look at a pointing hand instead of the pointed at object, and they consistently fail to point at objects themselves comment on or share an experience. So again, like you had kind of said with, with Maya, she was repeating stuff from you guys and not coming up with her own speech. Yeah. It's called echolala. And children with autism may have difficulty with imaginative play and with developing symbols into language. Very, very interesting. As far as repetitive behavior is concerned, you said that Maya did some spinning was there anything else that she was doing that was sort of repetitive behavior that exhibited just sort of an autistic sort of a spin to it? Yes. She had this thing where she liked to take um, strings or shoelaces or any kind of thing like that and tie it in knots around like uh, chairs or <laughs> it was a very strange behavior that I've never seen a kid do before. Wow. But she did it like all the time. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. So repetitive like behavior, knots. I think, is one of those characteristics that is sort of autistic 
people are known for. So that can be stereotypical behavior like repetitive movements, like hand flipping, head rolling, or body rocking, I think is one of the more common ones, that body rocking sort of motion. Mm-hmm. They can also have compulsive behaviors, like, like the knot tying that she said Maya had experienced. Time-consuming behaviors intended to res- intended to reduce anxiety that individuals feel. And they feel compelled to perform these repeatedly and according to rigid rules, like placing objects, objects in a specific order, checking things, or hand-washing. And in, in Maya's case, tying these knots over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So sameness, resistance to change, for example, insisting that the furniture not be moved or refusing to be interrupted. So if you move to a different home, that sort of a thing, did Maya have issues with that? Was that something that was very hard for her to deal with? It wasn't as much as moving as um, change in schedule. Um, so if you um, changed in the morning, if you did did anything out of routine, she would not be able to function. She wouldn't want to like transition from being at home to going to school. Wow. So summer, she would have summer vacation versus going to school is a, is a challenge sometimes. Correct. And then going to the grocery store with her when she was really little, I could never take her to the grocery store because there was too much stimulation and she would like scream the whole entire time. Wow. Have like a meltdown the whole entire time we were there and people would like stare at me and look at me like I was crazy. So like I could never take her to the grocery store. It was just too much for her. Yeah. Well, at least you realize that limitation and we're like, okay, I'm just not going to put us into that position where we're forced to deal with something that we obviously can't handle. Right. Right. I mean, but there were times where I had to go to the grocery store with her. So, I mean, as a mom, you can't always, you know, work around that. I mean, there's times where, you know, you need to go to the grocery store and get food. You're out of something and you got to take them. Yeah, like your spouse is working or not available or out of town and you have to deal with that. Yeah. Ritualistic behavior, that's something um, that can be a characteristic of autism children that have an unvarying, they like that unvarying pattern of daily activities. Like if you change a menu or their dressing ritual, then they just have a meltdown. This is closely associated with sameness and an independent validation that suggests combining the two factors. Um, they also have restricted interest, interests or fixations that are abnormal in theme or intense intensity of focus, like preoccupation yep. with a single television program, toy or game, as opposed yep. to several, as opposed to other children that may you know, constantly want to vary which toys they play with or watch different things on TV. They'd be sort of become preoccupied with a single thing or program or game. <laughs> Did Maya experience that as far as restricted interests? Um, so when she was younger, it was Dora the Explorer, and the, the interesting story about that is, do, you know how Dora the Explorer sings in Spanish and does things in Spanish? Well, Maya was um, no, song. because I don't have children, so I don't know about any of these shows. So, <laughs> well, this is an older one from you know a while ago, but um, she would sing the song, and I couldn't figure out what she was singing because it wasn't anything I knew. She was singing the Dora the Explorer song in Spanish. Over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. But she she wasn't talking, but she was singing a song in Spanish. She was repeating what she had heard. <clears throat> Correct. 
Wow. One of the things about when I went to took, take her in for uh, to be diagnosed, they tried to tell me that she had an intellectual disability and that was what was wrong. Right. Well, children who have that kind of recall um, don't have intellectual disabilities. That's not that that's not a fixture of an intellectual disability. So they were wrong on that one. Um, she has an amazing focus on certain topics. Hers is usually sea creatures. So a diagnosis or a thing like that kind of speaks to me of sort of a lazy diagnosis. You want everything to fit neatly in boxes and you don't want to have to do any extra work. But that's not necessarily how diagnosis works with children today, right? Right. You can't necessarily put them into a neat little box and tie it with a bow and say, here it is, this is what they have, this is the problem, and this is how you fix it. That's not how it yeah. works. <laughs> well, and in our, case, our particular case, because we took her in to the early intervention, some of those uh, the fixtures that are part of the diagnosis have been worked on so much that it's harder to diagnose her now. Yeah. So on one hand, we kind of, you know, shot ourselves in the foot because we got her the help that she needed, but now we can't get a diagnosis. Because she's more functional. Which her getting the help that she needs now. Because she's more functional, correct? Yeah. Because, because she's, she's had therapy, because she's had, you've worked with her and, and worked on other things with her to kind of help her symptoms. So damn you for being a good mom. (laughs) Right? How dare I? Um, I think one of the most (laughs) disturbing parts of the whole repetitive behavior issue, and this is one that I think people are a little bit more afraid of, is that self-injury behaviors with kids like eye poking, skin picking, hand biting, and head banging. Was that anything that Mm -hmm. Maya exhibited or did as a child? Thank goodness. I think those things no, are like the, some, some of the more stereotypical autism behaviors that I think sort of scare people. She only did like spinning, lack of eye contact, and flapping, the, the hand flapping. Yeah. She flaps her hands when she gets really excited. Interesting. She still kind of does that now, but not as often. Right. Because she's probably, you're probably teaching her to, to pick up on cues that maybe that might not be as normal. If you're not seeing other kids doing that, right? Yeah. So autistic individuals can have symptoms that are independent of the diagnosis that can affect the individual or the family. So about 5 to 10% of individuals with autism show unusual abilities ranging from splinter skills like memorization of trivia to extraordinary rare talents or uh, autistic sort of savants. So I know you had said Maya was singing in Spanish and things like that. So they may excel in math. They may have an artistic side that is much more advanced than other children. And I find this part particularly interesting. And I'm going to have Katrina cover off on one of those particular individuals in a little bit here that sort of exhibits extraordinary and rare talent. But they can show superior skills in perception and attention relative to the general population, Sensory abnormalities are found in over 90% of those people with autism and are considered one of the core features of autism. But there is no good evidence, though, that sensory symptoms differentiate autism from other developmental disorders, according to scientists. So an estimated 60 to 80% of autistic people have motor signs that include poor muscle tone, 
poor motor planning, and toe walking. Deficits in motor coordination are pervasive across the autistic culture and are greater in autism proper. Did Maya have anything like that? Muscle tone or toe walking or any of that? No. <clears throat> she had, that was one thing that she did, didn't have a problem with. Um, she had, did not have any problems with poor muscle tone. Or motor skills or anything like that. Um, well, the motor skills, yes. Um, as far as like handwriting, she struggles with, she struggled with holding a, a crayon and they had to teach her that. Uh-huh. Just um, give her a little extra assistance in that particular yes, thing. Yes. Yeah. So, and her handwriting, if you, even to this day, if you see her handwriting is not as neat and tidy as it should <laughs> be for her age. I mean, she's definitely improving in that area but it's... well compared to boys <laughs> I remember just boys have some of the awfulest handwriting she's probably like on par with boys her age right <laughs> I I don't know about that but um that was I think that was one of the only things that she had uh, as far as motor skills so um, she had maybe... limited limited kind of impact in that particular area Right. Um, jump roping was is hard for her. Jump roping is hard for a lot of people, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just there's little things that, like, it's harder for her to learn than some of her peers. Yeah. Okay, here's but one. That's th- she still is able to learn it, though. It's just at a different pace. Right. So unusual eating behavior. That this occurs in about yes. a third of the children with, with autism to the extent that it is a former, that it used to be a diagnostic indicator. Selectivity <clears throat> is the most common problem, although eating rituals and food refusal can also occur. So did Maya have that as an, as an issue? Maya's was a little bit different. Um, Maya didn't have a problem with eating things per se. It was, uh, she likes the sensation of chewing So she like she eats a lot. So um, that is actually one of her sensory issues. Is um, she's constantly wanting to eat because Because she likes the way it feels. uh, She likes that sensation of eating and chewing on things. Oh my god, me too. (laughs) Maybe I have autism. (laughs) This is a little bit more like obsessive. Yeah, no, she obsesses over it sometimes, and we have to. have conversations with her and uh, limit her on things because it used to be where she would eat until she would throw up. Wow. Like she had no sense of I'm full. I need to stop. She would just keep going and going and going until she was sick. Wow. Very interesting. She's getting better about it, but we still have to have lots of conversations. We have to cue her a lot about, Hey, what is your body telling you right now? Cause she does, she won't think about it. And that's another thing. If it's hot outside, she won't think it's too hot outside. Don't wear a long sleeves t-shirt. She will just wear, and she doesn't feel hot. That's we have to like monitor that for her. She doesn't feel those sensations so of like, can, I'm too hot. She can I get overheated or get a heat stroke very easily. Cause she doesn't have that connection. Yeah, there's no connection there. Like, she doesn't know. Interestingly enough, parents of children with autism have a higher level of stress. And this seems somewhat obvious to me. Siblings of children with autism report greater admiration of and less conflict 
with the affected sibling than siblings of unaffected children. Very, very interesting. Do you feel as though the other children in your family sort of give Maya a little differential or special treatment because she's a little different? No. Gabe actually is, I think because, okay, so because we've had to do so many therapies and different things with her, some of the other kids have gotten jealous. It's caused jealousy because of all the time and energy we've had to put into it. Right. So it's created resentment in the other children. Although Bella definitely treats her a little bit differently than her other siblings. Yeah. Another issue that this list talks about is gastrointestinal issues mm-hmm. that can be associated with people with autism. And these can be linked to greater social impairment, irritability, behavior, and sleep problems, language impairments, and mood changes gastrointestinal issues is Maya experiencing any of those not anymore but when she was younger yeah she had some some stomach issues um when she was little and uh I had to change her diet um to help with that and and change with uh changing her diet that helped her to be able to focus better because then she wasn't feeling distracted by the feelings in her body so she then she was able to focus better. The teachers after we I put her on a gluten free diet because it seems to be gluten for her breads and different things seemed. I don't know if it's the yeast in those products. I don't know exactly if it's the gluten. What exactly it is, but once I put her on a gluten free diet, within it was about a month after I put her on her gluten free diet, her teacher said, "I don't know what you're doing at home, but Maya is focusing so much better." Um, We're seeing just an increase in her uh, good behaviors and stuff like that at school. So when I heard that feedback, I was like, okay, this is, I just need to continue. If she, now if she eats too much gluten, she'll throw up. Wow. So she's developed that much of a um, sensitivity to it. that I don't don't know if it's the gluten itself or something to do with those products that have gluten in them. If it's yeast, I don't know exactly what it is. I can't explain to you what <laughs> it, it, the part of that product is what's causing it. But um, right. she definitely, if she gets a hold of certain foods, she'll get tummy aches for sure. What do you mean if she gets a hold of? So like if someone doesn't know that she shouldn't be so, eating that and they let her have some cupcakes. Or... Yeah, if she goes to like a birthday party and eats a food that she shouldn't. I mean, now that she's older, she kind of knows what she shouldn't eat and what tr- food triggers those tummy aches. Um, uh huh. But every once in a while, she'll kind of be like, well, maybe I can have this. And then it and doesn't then turn out so well. A really bad tummy ache. Talk to me a little bit about what you would recommend if somebody senses that their child, and granted, most people, I want to think most parents are sensitive enough to know that something isn't quite right and are going to go ahead and and get their child a little assistance or some sort of a diagnostic with a doctor. But like, what is your number one recommendation with respect to a similar, a, a, a parent with a similar situation with their child? Well, if somebody is suspecting that there's something different about their child or they're concerned, the the first place to start would be your doctor. Um, There's a lot of great doctors out there that know how to diagnose these kind of situations. My particular case, that was not what happened. So if the doctor is not cooperating, um, go to the school district. Um, They're required by law to give you a free free uh, screening 
of your child for developmental delays. And if the school, if it, it depends on how old they are, if they're under the age of five, they're, the school district will send you to whatever early intervention center they have in that area. Okay. Interesting. Talk to us a little bit about Temple Grandin. Uh, Temple Grandin is, is one, she is a famous, one of the more famous autistic people we know. Um, she has a, she's more autistic savant. She's on the higher end of the spectrum of higher functioning end of the spectrum. And, um, she's amazing. She started out, she was really lucky because her mother was a huge advocate for her and helping her to get the help she needed at a younger age. Her mom took her to the world's leading special needs researchers at the Boston Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. And then they hired a speech therapist and they went through, uh, took her to a neurologist. And so she got a lot of that early intervention for her. And then they did a, a, a lot of work with her earlier on. You know, she's 71 um, years old now. Yeah. Wow. She is, she speaks out for people, uh, who are on the spectrum. She's a An advocate. Yeah. For it. She is amazing. She also, um, has written several books about autism, but she is, she, her main thing that she, her, like her job that she does is she works with cattle, uh, she livestock behavior scientist and has written several, I think that's where her, her focus is, uh-huh. you know, how you had talked about how some have like this amazing focus on one particular topic hers is on livestock behavior so if you folks have not seen the movie temple Graydon, it came out in 2010 with claire danes as temple grandin it's an excellent movie i would give it two thumbs up go see it if you have not already seen it it really um sort of highlights a more higher functioning autistic person um, and someone also who, despite the diagnosis, despite suffering from this particular disorder, so to speak, I don't know if you can necessarily even call it a disorder anymore, despite suffering from this diagnosis of autism, she went on to really be quite successful in what she did. Yes. And she got she got an education and she became a scientist and an advocate and an author and a speaker. So it really kind of shows that there are different ends to this particular, you know, you're not necessarily doomed to a life of rocking back and forth in a chair or a mental institute if your child is diagnosed with autism. Now, granted, there are some children that do have autism that never become functional and need to be institutionalized for the sanity of the parents and to prevent them from harming themselves. I have heard several podcasts where they talked about children that either as adults just became very, very hard to handle. I think there was one in particular we're talking about a young boy who became, you know, he was like six foot five and 250 pounds and he was into a lot of self-harm and he would go into stores and take all of his clothes off and smear feces all over himself and just do things I think that were very disruptive to everyone around him. And the parents ended up having to have him institutionalized just because they simply were unable to control 
a child of that size um, without him injuring them and causing significant harm to everyone around him. And those are very sad instances, but I don't necessarily think that is the majority of the cases today. Is that kind of your take on it as well? Yeah, um, I actually have a person, there was a, a documentary on ABC on a girl named Carly Fleischman, mm-hmm. who has severe autism and does like the rocking back and forth is nonverbal. Yeah. And her family didn't even know there was anything going on inside her head. Right. Um, and then what had happened through the therapy that they were doing with her, uh, she was 13 year old when they, they had fit, figured out there was more going on inside of her, but they but, knew she uh, was autistic though. Right. Or did they just think no, she had some she sort was, of a thing? She has severe autism and she was unable to speak a word. Um, she does the rocking back and forth. Um, she does the repetitive behaviors. She has the outbursts. She's physically, um, she hits herself. She bangs her head on the wall. Hang on. Um, okay. Very extreme case of autism. After, uh, so at about 13, they, one of her therapists was working with her, and they started giving her uh, work with a computer keyboard with pictures and symbols. And, and that was about age 13, you said? Yeah to get her to like, to help her to be able to communicate maybe her needs. So they had like some symbols and different pictures and they were, it's a type of therapy that they use with children with autism, with extreme nonverbal situations to help them find a way to communicate. Right. And so what had happened was she started feeling sick and she went to the computer and typed hurt and help. And they didn't even know there was anything going on upstairs. And then a couple minutes later, she threw up. Wow. Well, they found out through that experience that there was more going on with her. So at first, they couldn't get her to repeat that process or get her to do any kind of typing. She was not motivated. But then they figured out that they, if they didn't give her anything that she wanted, and that she had to type to request what she wanted. Uh-huh. It motivated her to start typing. Well, eventually she got to a point where she was able to start typing, like, what's really going on inside of her head. And she actually has the um, IQ. She has an IQ of 130. Wow. So she actually has her own blog and has, like, a, I think a YouTube channel and, like, um, and a place where you can go and ask her questions. So but she has difficulty advocate. Hang on. Just so I understand this. She has a difficulty expressing herself verbally, but she can't express herself typing on a yes. computer. Yes. Oh my God. That is so interesting. Yes. And she's also writing a book. So she's an, she's an advocate, also an advocate for, for, for kids with autism. Such an amazing thing. And she's, she's quite intelligent. So, so just because uh, your child has a diagnosis a diagnosis of autism does not mean that they are dumb. It doesn't mean that they're you know not going to achieve things in life. I think that's a very mm-hmm. it's the takeaway from all of this is that yeah there are definitely different levels of it and there are people that are highly functioning and there are people that achieve quite a bit in this world that have autism. Okay. And 
on that, that an end all be all kind of right. thing. And there's they're depending on your child and and what they want out of life they're capable of doing it they're just gonna have to do it kind of in an unconventional way like they're they're not gonna be able to do it the same way another child is gonna be able to do it right they might have to work harder or do things a little bit differently to get to that place but it doesn't mean they can't I know we have not gotten to everything about autism we have just barely scratched the surface when it comes to this particular topic and we are more than happy for people to send us emails about this or like maybe share their own experience with this because it is very pervasive today and we don't want to be disrespectful when it comes to this particular thing either um, because many people experience this disorder this this sort of thing in many 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 different ways I think we've shared a couple of different ways that people in society have functioned with autism, including Katrina's very personal story about this. So we appreciate her sharing that with us. This is the point in the podcast where we say so long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you have suggestions, comments, or you want to share your own story, please send us an email. We will put the email into the show notes. It's hypoalmapodcast at gmail.com or hypochondriacsalmanac at gmail.com. In the meantime... Please join us again next week when we talk more about strange medical news, conditions, and treatments, as well as more common disorders. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay healthy, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye. Bye.